Good morning, and welcome to the radio broadcasts of the Brinesburg Missionary Baptist Church.
Today you'll be listening to the message preached by our pastor, Brother Brad Walker, during our Sunday morning worship service. May God bless you as you listen to his message. If you will, turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And we'll be looking this morning at Ephesians 6 verses 1 through 4. As we've been moving through this study of the Spirit-filled, we look this morning at the Spirit-filled family. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And as you're turning there in your Bibles, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for a day when we have just felt you moving in our midst, Lord, where we have felt you speaking to us in such a very real way uh, through our worship, through, through the testimony of believers' baptism, through prayer, through opportunities to give. And Lord, now as we study your word together, as we, as we open up your word, teach us as only you can. Uh, Lord, uh, a passage of scripture that is fairly familiar to many of us, uh, but yet one that, that we still struggle with many times because it is those relationships closest to us that oftentimes are the hardest for us to get right, the hardest for us to do what you've really called us to do. And so uh, when it comes to being a spirit-filled family, when it comes to being a spirit-filled mom, dad, son, daughter, Lord, help us to be all that you've called us to be. 
but I know that I'm a very weak vessel. So Lord, this morning I pray that you would hide me behind the cross, that only you'd be seen, only you'd be heard. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Holy Spirit, as we have seen, wants complete and total control over each and every one of our lives. In the moment that we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, uh, we know that the Spirit comes and He dwells within us. And at that very moment, we have been filled with the Spirit. Uh, he, he is in us. Uh, he, he dwells now. Uh, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. And so because of that, we should be a different kind of people, according to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And so when we're filled with the Spirit, it means that He has now taken over total control of our lives. When he is in control of our lives, we will uh, live for him in a different way. We will worship him in a manner that glorifies him. Every relationship in our life will now be to honor him as well. And so when the spirit is in control of our lives, he will cause us to uh, live in a different way, especially we've seen over the last uh, couple of weeks, and we'll see this morning, especially in those relationships that are closest to us, the relationships that are in in our home. If, if we are not a, uh, a, a spirit-filled husband, meaning that we are the best husband we can be, or the best wife we can be, or the best son that we can be, or the best daughter that we can be, then it shows that we have not truly been filled with the Spirit, that we don't truly understand what it means to give complete and total control over to Him. And so last week we looked at the spirit-filled marriage, and this morning we're going to look at the spirit-filled family. And here we're going to learn a little more about this relationship between children and their parents and the responsibilities that parents have to their children and that children have to their parents to, to honor them and to obey them. And this is an important teaching. I believe that all of our families, uh, even if you feel like your family is, is doing great, uh, we can do a little better. Like we said last week with our marriages, you may have a, a grade A plus on, on your marriage, but you can do a little better. And that's what we're going to see, I believe, this morning as well. And so if you will please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. You may be seated. What a powerful four verses of Scripture for our families. And so the first thing we see here is in verses one through three, the spirit-filled child. Two commands are given to those still under their parents' care in these verses. In verse one, children are commanded to obey their parents. And then in verse two, children are commanded to honor both father and mother. We see in verse one that children are to heed their parents. Meaning, God's first command to children is to obey your parents. The word translated children does not just refer to young children, uh, but to all offspring. Sons and daughters still under their parents' roof, though, are to obey and to honor them. Obedience has to do with action, and honor has to do with attitude. And so although, as, as Paul has just mentioned, men and women are no longer under the authority of their parents, once they themselves marry, still special respect and concern for their parents should continue so long as they live. The child who is brought up to obey and honor his parents will always be sensitive to their wisdom and to their counsel and to their welfare. That's the way I feel about my parents today. I don't live under their roof, but I honor them. I love them. I, I, I want to respect everything that they have to say and listen to it because there's wisdom there. And we should all understand that regardless of how old we are, if we've still been blessed to have our parents with us. That word translated obey means to hear under. And so it's a picture of children who submit themselves to the will of their parents by obeying them in all things. It means that you listen to them, that you follow their directions, that you do what they tell you to do. Children are to obey their parents. But there's something within us that just doesn't want to do that. Can I get an amen from every child in here? There's just something within us that just doesn't really want to obey. We're born with that black drop of rebellion within us. We're, we're all born with sin within us. And so by nature, we do not want to obey. Parents, have you ever told your children not to do something? Specifically not to do something particular. 
in, their, in your home or, or an action? You ever told them not to do one specific thing? What do they want to do then? Whatever you just said. Whatever you just said, that's, that, that's the one thing. They may never have even thought about doing that, which you told them not to do. But as soon as you tell them not to do it, there arises something in their little heart that makes them want to do exactly that. Um, Robin and I uh, have these, uh, what they call yaldros, and I know I'm not pronouncing it right. It starts with an L, but it sounds like a Y or G or something. But it's a yaldros, but I've been told is how you pronounce them. And they're these precious, very fragile uh, porcelain figures. And so we got one when we got married. Uh, we got one when we had Daniel that's a mom with a, with a child, but they're probably the most expensive piece of artwork we have in our house. And so at a very young age, we told Liz Kate, no, those are very special to mommy and daddy. So you don't need to touch those. Those are to be seen and not touched. First thing. Oh, she had never even noticed they were there before. But now all her little heart could, could think about is I've got to get my hands on those things. I just got to because that's all I can think about now. The moment I said don't touch the figurines, there was something inside of her that became desirous of that very thing. There's something naturally in us that wants to rebel, to do that which we've been told not to do. We see that even in Adam and Eve, didn't we? God said, you've got everything, absolutely everything in the world you can have. One thing, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Oh, let's go, let's go over here. We just have that rebellious streak in us. So there's two reasons given here in verse 1 to tell us children why they are to obey. And the first is it's spiritual. It's the spiritual thing to do. The Bible says, in the Lord. So when a child obeys their parents, it's a way of serving the Lord. Obedience to one's parents honors the Lord as well. And so the phrase, in the Lord, also implies that there is a limit on what parents can command their children to do. No child should ever obey something their, their parents tell them to do that would be contrary to the Word of God. And there are children who are asked to do those kinds of things all the time, sadly, in this world that we live in. We shouldn't obey those things which are against the Word of God. The command of the Lord always comes first. But this phrase also reminds us that parents stand in the gap, though, between children and God while the children are too young to have a full measure uh, and mature uh, relationship with, with God themselves. So parents are God's stewards then. They're His proxy authority for their children who are simply loaned to them in trust by the Heavenly Father. And so that is why children are commanded in Colossians 3.20 to obey your parents in all things for this is well pleasing unto the, uh, unto the Lord. And so again, the only exception to that obedience is the matter of doing what is wrong. Every believer should refuse to do anything that is clearly against God's will, which is taught to us in Scripture. Otherwise, though, a child is always to obey his or her parents in all things. And so we see it's the spiritual thing to do, but it's not just the spiritual thing to do. Secondly, we see that it's the ethical thing to do. He says, for this is right. Obedience to parents is just simply the right thing to do. It is far too common in our world today to see children talking back to their parents, rolling their eyes when they're told to do something or pitching a fit because they didn't get what they wanted. Nothing annoys me more in Walmart than a kid pitching a fit. I mean, am I the only one? That just really irks me. When, when, when there's a kid just throwing a fit over something. Uh, because it's just, that's annoying, okay? But there's nothing pleasing about it. There's nothing honor about it. Um, nothing about that behavior is, is pleasing to anyone. It dishonors not only the Lord, but it also dishonors the parents, but also it dishonors that child. They look foolish. So the greatest example, though, of obedience to parents in Scripture, who do you think was the greatest example of obedience to parents in Scripture? Who do you think? It's an easy answer. It's Jesus, yes. Yeah, it's the Sunday school answer, Jesus. It's Jesus Christ. No one has ever been more obedient to parents than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ in, in Luke 2, 41, he's 12 years old. He's, he's coming back from the temple where he's astounded the religious leaders because they're like, this guy has, has more knowledge of scripture than anybody ever. And he's 12 years old. And so there's clearly this is, there's something amazing about this child. But it says in Luke 4, 40, uh, 2, 41, Jesus went down with them and he came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these, these sayings in her heart. So think about that for a minute. 
Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the, the, the creator of heaven and earth, was subject to Mary and Joseph. Think about that. The God of all creation, the God of all creation came down and allowed himself to become obedient to a carpenter and his wife. God in flesh, the God-man, was obedient to a carpenter and his young wife. That's amazing. If the Lord Jesus Christ was obedient to his earthly parents, the Bible teaches us that we should be obedient to our parents as well. Respect your parents. Respect for parents is is of such importance to God that Moses commanded it. Listen to what he says here in Exodus 21, 15. And he that smiteth his father or mother shall be surely put to death. Exodus 21, 17. And he that curseth his father or mother shall surely be put to death. Man, I'd have been in trouble as a kid. I mean, these, these standards are strict, aren't they? You can't speak a word against them. You can't, you can't strike against them. I mean, if God feels this way, how do you think we should feel about our parents? To either physically or verbally abuse your parents was a capital offense in ancient Israel. And if it means that much to God that he would say that, if he, there is a law like that, then it should be important and serious to us as well. But also we see that children are to honor their parents in verse 2. The word honor carries the idea of value. It means that children are to respect them, to value them, to hold them in high regard. There is nothing uglier, there is nothing more displeasing, there's nothing more obnoxious than a child who is disrespectful to their parents. I can't stand it. Sometimes I know I overstep my bounds and I'll step in. When a a parent is allowing their child to be disrespectful, I'm like, no, not in my presence. It's not going to happen. Because God is displeased by that. Honor your father and mother. And you say, well, you don't know my parents. My parents didn't know the, know the Lord, and so they weren't worthy of honor. Okay, well, there may be times when you're ashamed of your parents. There may be times when you're embarrassed about your parents. There may be times when you don't want to do what they say. But the th- best thing you can do, regardless of, of how they may act from time to time, is to honor your parents because God says he will bless it. God says, when you honor your father and mother, he says, he didn't put it, he said, if they're Christians, he says, no, if you just honor your father and mother, you will be blessed with a long life, with a good life. Now, as I've said, the greatest example of that is, is a child honoring a parent is, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see that as he was dying upon the cross, when it was, again, we, we know the crucifixion didn't allow Jesus to say much because he was barely getting enough oxygen to just take another breath, but he used one of those breaths to take care of his mother, didn't he? And he said, he said to her, John is, is now your son, and, and, and mom, mother, he is, he is now your son. He took care of her. He made sure that she was taken care of when, when he was gone, when he had ascended back to the Father. What an amazing thing. Children go through four stages, we see, in their relationship with parents. The first stage is they idolize their parents. Um, they can do nothing wrong. They're perfect in, in, in their child's eyes. I praise the Lord. I'm there with Liz Kate right now. I am Superman. Okay. That's an awesome place to be. Is it not? You know, when your kids are just at that age where you're just like, wow, you're just amazing. I love that. But the second stage is not so much fun. The second stage is they demonize their parents. So you come to see that your parents are not perfect, not as perfect as you thought they were. And actually they're the source of every problem in your life. And so they, they're the reason for every difficulty that you have ever experienced. That's called middle school, okay? Leave it alone, okay. Third, high school, you utilize your parents, okay? So you figured out that you're stuck with them, okay? So at this point, you, you, you can get what you need out of them. So that's where you get, hey dad, I need the keys. Or mom, I need you to wash and iron my uniform this weekend. You just utilize them. You don't really see them as human. You just see them as, you know, somebody who can meet your needs. But then the fourth stage is you humanize your parents. You recognize that they are not gods, that they are not demons, and they are not simply people who have been put on this earth to serve you and to be used by you. 
you recognize that they're human beings just like you and they make mistakes. They make a mess sometimes along the way, but they are to be honored and they are to be obeyed. At some point you come to the place where you forgive your parents for their failures. You come to a place where you stop blaming your behavior and your mistakes on your parents' past mistakes. So we see that children are to honor their parents and it's given a tremendous promise when we do that. Honor your father and mother that it may be well with thee and that you may live long on the earth. I'm sure you know situations as I do where that didn't happen. Children honor their parents and then something happens and and there's a tragedy and their, their, their life is taken far too soon uh, and, and those kinds of things happen. We see that in the life of Jesus. Um, you know, it, Jesus Christ perfectly obeyed his parents. He perfectly honored his parents and yet we know that at, at the very height of his life, uh, of his young adult life, that he was crucified on a cross, experienced the worst death imaginable. And so God is not giving us an ironclad guarantee here, but God is saying that as a general rule, you will tend to live a longer, better life if you obey and honor your parents. And so let me think about that. So if, if your parents say, don't touch the stove, and if you obey, guess what happens? You don't burn your hand off. That's a better life. If your parents say, uh, you know, don't play in the street, guess what? You don't get run over and killed. That's a longer life. So that's a, that's, that's a good part of it. If your parents say, don't touch alcohol and drugs and you obey, you live a longer life where you don't become addicted, where you don't have the hardships that come with a life addicted to drugs and alcohol. You, you avoid those pitfalls. They say, be careful in your dating relationships and you obey. Well, guess what? You don't end up in some of those places that will completely derail your future because you've gotten involved with the wrong guy, the wrong, wrong girl. You, you've made the wrong decisions. And so if we listen to them, if we listen to, to, their, to their wise counsel, life will be better and it oftentimes will be longer because we won't make some stupid decisions as a young person. And so if you have godly parents who are trying to lead you down the right paths, then you should thank God because you are blessed. It wouldn't hurt some of us this morning to tell our parents, thank you. Thank you for trying. Thank you for doing your best. Uh, you know, if, you, if you've got a mom and dad, if you've got grandparents maybe, who got you to church this morning, made sure you were here, made sure that, that, that you had an opportunity to know about Jesus, you're blessed. You need to thank them for it. If they're trying, be thankful for it. But then secondly, we're going to try to hurry here. Uh, we see the spirit-filled, the, the spirit-filled parent. And so uh, while the verse says fathers, I think it's clear that he's speaking of parents in general here, of, of how we're to treat our children. And so when the, tra- the text was written here, though, ancient society had a very different view of children than we have today, a very different view. Most families in that day were in shambles. Uh, mutual love for family members was, was non-existent. It was unheard of. In fact, a father's love for children would have been hard to even imagine. And by Roman law, a father had virtual life and death power, not just over his slaves, but over his children as well. He could cast any of them out of the house. He could sell them as slaves. He could even kill them for the most part without any accountability to anyone because it was his home. In fact, newborns in that day would be placed at their father's feet to, de- feet to determine their fate. And so if the father picked the child up, the child was allowed to stay in the home. But if that father walked away, the child was simply disposed of much like sadly we do with aborted babies today. Just inconvenient, so they just put them to the side. Discarded infants, in fact, were, were, uh, who were healthy would be collected and they would t- be taken each night to the t- town forum where they would be picked up and raised to become slaves or prostitutes. A horrible condition in the Roman world. A, re- a letter that was written in 1 BC by a man named uh, Hilarion to his wife Elise uh, reads this way. He says, heartiest greetings. Note that we are still even now in Alexandria. Do not worry if when all others return, I remain in Alexandria. I beg and beseech you to take care of the little children. And as soon as we receive wages, I will send them to you. But listen, if good luck to you, you have another child. If it is a boy, let it live. If it is a girl, expose of it. 
Senecia, a renowned statesman in Rome at the time Paul wrote his letter to the Ephesians said this, we slaughter a fierce ox, we strangle a mad dog, we plunge a knife into a sick cow, children born weak or deformed, we drown. A horrible view towards children. Such callous such callous beliefs, such callousness is, is terrifying. Yet according to a recent report, the primary cause for children being placed in foster care and foster homes today is not divorce, it's not financial destitution or death of the parents, but it's simply a disinterest of their parents. And perhaps that's the worst thing that can happen to a child. It's just to feel like they are just not wanted at all, that the parents are just disinterested in it, like they didn't even exist. And so here comes Christianity. And Christianity enters into the world and the status of the entire family was elevated. And so God commanded husbands and wives to love and to respect one another. But here in chapter 6, God tells Christian parents, you have a responsibility to your children. And so he says, there is a caution here. He says, fathers, provoke provoke not your children to wrath. That means specifically, don't cause them to be angry. He elaborates in Colossians 3.21 by saying, fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged or broken in spirit. There are five categories, five areas of ways that parents tend to do this. The first is through overprotection. Uh, And it's understandable that we want to protect our children. I mean, there's a lot out there that can hurt them. Uh, There's a lot out there that is scary in our culture, Uh, abuse and kidnapping and just the the general uh, scariness of what we see on the nightly news. But there comes a time as they grow and mature that we must give them a measure of freedom. And if you hold them too tight for too long, they will come to resent it. But secondly, through overindulgence. So you can take the hands off. You can give them total freedom. And when that happens, you communicate to them a sense of insecurity, a sense of lack of love because you don't care enough to to, to really discipline, to do anything. So they're taught to expect anything and everything they want in life. And they come to believe that they are entitled to everything they want. But thirdly, through favoritism. And we see this in our world today, but we also see favoritism throughout Scripture. We see Jacob was the favorite of Rebekah. We see that Esau was the favorite of Isaac. We know what that led to. But then we see that Jacob repeated the sin uh, with his favoritism towards Joseph. We know how that ended. So when parents show favoritism to their kids, it turns them into very insecure adults. Fourthly, through frustration. If you aren't very careful, sometimes you can break the spirit of your child with unrealistic expectations. You see that a lot of times with dads, when sports, it's never enough. The kid's ne- never good enough. They, they've never done enough to please them, no matter what they accomplish in a, in a game or in an athletic endeavor. And moms, sometimes it can be so desirous that their little girl be beautiful and, and, and be in every, you know, uh, the best in all of those kinds of areas that, that she pushes that child too far. And, and if that, we do that, uh, we, we, we always have a negative word, no matter what the success may be. We crush their spirit. And so I encourage you, if you're going to give even what you can, can, can true as constructive criticism. Give two positive words, even if it's, you think, constructive criticism. You need to give them two positive words for every one criticism. Every time you say a negative thing, be sure two positive things are said, because the world's going to knock them down enough. They need to be built up at home. But also through neglect. We're told the average father spends less than 30 minutes, not a day, but a week talking to their children. Listen, church, that's not nearly enough. I praise the Lord, I get more time than that with my kids. Even one-on-one time, I get a lot more time than that. And I I praise the Lord for that because our kids need us, dads especially. Your kids need you to spend that time with them. Harvard University uh, sociologist Sheldon and and Eleanor Gluck developed a test, a test that proved to be 90% uh, accurate to determine whether a a five or six-year-old would become delinquent. And they discovered that the four primary factors necessary to prevent delinquency are, number one, the father's firm, fair, and consistent discipline. Number two, the mother's supervision and companionship during the day. Number three, the parents demonstrated affection for each other and for the children. And number four, the family spends time together in activities where all participate. In other words, family time together. The Christian uh, psychiatrist, Dr. Paul Myers, gives a similar test, a similar list of factors that produce right parent-child relationships. And so number one, he says, genuine love of the parents for each other and for their children. Number two, firm and consistent discipline. Number three, consistency of standards for parents and children. Number four, the right example by parents. And number five, the father has uh, as a true head of the home. And he also said, 
he commented that vast majority of neurotics have grown up in a home where there was either no father or where he was dominated by the mother. And so we see some common elements there um, by, by folks who have studied those things for a very long time. But also we see there, there is a command. There is a command. He says, bring them up. That carries the idea of training your children, uh, of bringing them to a place of maturity. Paul tells us two ways that we are to go about bringing up our children. Uh, first, parents are to discipline their children. That word nurture uh, many times is translated chastisement. It means to, to bring into the idea of the whole uh, subject of discipline. Um, there are some who hold negative opinions about spanking. They think it's harmful to children. It's actually harmful to not spank your children. Um, because it, what it leads to is all kinds of uh, beliefs that, you know what, there's really no rules. There, there's really no consequences. And so when that happens, uh, we lose our children. Uh, they, they will go down many wrong paths in life because there is just no boundaries. It's important for children to learn that there are boundaries in life. They need to learn that there are rules that have to be obeyed. And to learn this, they need to be disciplined when they cross the line. And then failure to discipline your children when they are young will cause them to have little respect for authority as they grow up. And so when you don't discipline your child at a young age, they're going to grow up and they're not going to have respect uh, not only in the home, but they won't have respect away from home for coaches, for teachers, for pr principals, and ultimately for the Lord in general. So in contrast to that, listen to what the Bible says in Proverbs 13, 24. He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. Proverbs 22, 15. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. In other words, the Lord says, when you lovingly discipline, when it's needed, then your child will be better for it. The word nurture carries the idea of education and training. And so parents have the responsibility of teaching their children the things that they need to know about the Lord. And so we are to expose them to the Bible. We are to teach them the Word of God. We are to help them understand the gospel. We are to teach them right from wrong based on what the Bible says. Parents are to educate and train their children in the ways of righteousness and holiness. And so parents are to direct their children. The word admonish means to teach by means of words. And so there is no underestimating the importance of the things that we teach to our children. It is essential for parents to spend quality of time, but also quantity of time with your children. It really does make a difference. It's essential that you communicate love constantly to your children by eye, eye contact, by hugs, by physical touch. And again, I've said this before, but some dads are like, oh, I'm just not a touchy-feely guy. Get over it. Your kids need you to hug them. Your kids need to know they're loved by you. You've got to have to be affectionate to your children or it causes long-term issues in their life. It is important that you communicate to them by means of positive words, being very careful of the words that you say and the tone of your voice when you say them because it's easy to crush a child's spirit. Today, it's easy for us to fall into the trap of allowing a television set or a computer or a, or a phone screen to babysit our kids. And it's easy just to give those things over. And as a result, our children learn how to interact with others and how to talk, how to live their lives. They learn from YouTube and, and Jojo Siwa and, and Call of Duty and SpongeBob SquarePants. Heaven help us. That's a sad commentary. But parents, we're responsible for what our children see and for what our children hear. And so it's up to us to be sure that we expose images and sounds that strengthen and don't tear down their relationship with the Lord. They should be sheltered from the influences that undermine their walk with the Lord. And so parents, we're called to be evangelists in our homes. You should do everything possible to bring your son and daughter to know the Lord. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9, God commands the people of Israel to teach their children. And we have the same responsibility today to teach our children, to live right before them, to openly talk about faith, to teach them the word of God, to love them unconditionally. I mean, can you answer these questions? Do, do your children know that tithing is a blessing, that, that God will bless tithing? Do your children know that God will bless honesty? Do your children see the faithfulness uh, that, that God will bless it throughout their lives? Do your children see that serving God um, is not optional, that it's mandatory? Do your children see those things? Have you taught those things? Because if you haven't, they don't just naturally know it. They will 
they will learn exactly what, you, what they observe from your life. And they need to know that God blesses faithful people. And if they see you enjoying the great blessings from a, a faithful life of the Lord, then they're going to want that same thing in their lives as well. And so let's show them that serving God is the only way to live and that obedience to the Lord always pays off in the long run. Let's show them that God's way is the best way. And when your parenting duties are over, your children will be living memorials to your investment in their lives. What you do at work, for the most part, will be forgotten, even if you'd spent a lot of long hours there. But the investment you place in your, kill, in, in your children, that'll be remembered. And so you can't teach them to honor the Lord if you don't honor Him yourself. You can't teach them to be faithful if you aren't faithful yourself. You can't teach them to love the Lord if you don't encourage them in that, if you only encourage them to love the world then that's who they will love. So we are to teach them both by what we say and by what we do. We already know the influence their lives uh, will have because we, we, we see it. We see the influence that our parents have had on us. And so we want to have a godly influence on our children and on our gr- grandchildren. As parents, we have to remember the high calling that we've been given. It was Frederick Douglass that said, it's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. And so may the Lord help us to do everything in our power to be the best parents that we can be to the praise and the glory of the Lord. And so how would you feel if your children grew up to be a Christian just like you? How would you feel if your children grew up and they had the exact same walk with the Lord that you have? For some of us, hopefully you're saying that I would be, I would be honored. But for some of you, you're going, whew, that'd be rough. And if that's the case, let's get some stuff right today. You know, if you wouldn't be pleased with that, let's get some things right. Are there any changes that need to begin? So mom and dad, is everything right in your relationship with the Lord this morning? Is everything all right in your relationship with your children this morning? And to children, is everything right in your relationship with the Lord this morning? And is everything right in your relationship with your parents? Are there things that need to change? If there are, let's, let's, let's make those decisions today. But most importantly, if you recognize that you're a mom or a dad, a son or a daughter who's lost, I want you to know that Jesus Christ will save you today. That if you will believe on Him, that if you repent of your sin, turning away from it and turning to Him, and believe Him for your salvation, you will be saved. If you've got questions, I want you to come. I would love to talk to you about it. But you've got to come. You've got to ask Jesus to come in. Would you invite Him today? Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you. This Thank you for listening to our broadcast today from Bryansburg Missionary Baptist Church. If you need spiritual help with your relationship with the Lord, please call 270-527-3757. Also, we would like to invite you to attend our services. On Sunday morning, Sunday school begins at 10 a.m. and our worship service is at 11 a.m. On Sunday evening, discipleship training begins at 5 p.m. with our worship service at 6 p.m. You may also view our Sunday worship services live on Mediacom Inspiration Channel 93. On Wednesday night, our worship service begins at 7 p.m. Once again, thanks for listening, and may God bless you and your family.